The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, first of all, I want to thank you for coming and for the stillness that was generated in the room. It just felt delightful to me, so thank you. (laughs) And uh, what I would like to talk about tonight is what constitutes the spiritual life. What constitutes the spiritual life? You know, we, we come to meditation for a variety of reasons. And some of them have to do with spirituality. Some of them have to do with just plain relaxing. Some of the reasons that we come have to do with dealing with the suffering in our lives. There are all kinds of reasons that we show up here. What has been on my mind in the last week or so is why do I show up here? (laughs) What is it about that has kept me coming here for over 20 years? And what what are the imperatives that I give myself that keep me motivated and encouraged? And what does it all mean? So that's what I want to share with you and would like to explore with you tonight. Some people believe that a spiritual life has to do with what you believe. And certainly spiritual lives have some element of faith in them, almost always. You've, in the sense that we have the faith that the sun's going to rise in the morning. You know, there's, there's something that we believe is possible, might happen. So there's, there is, uh, there's faith. There's, there's a sense of generosity. Generosity always seems to be involved somehow, where we feel like we want to do good. You know, so sometimes it's an imperative in our lives that we want to be better. And, we, and there, there's kind of a, an outpouring feeling that arises. For some of us, it has to do with uh, leading an ethical life. We think in terms of virtue. This is a tricky area. Very often we think, oh, if I were better, if I could just be good, then I could lead a spiritual life. And we have all these uh, rules and regulations that we get entangled in instead of what it really means to live a spiritual life. So, so that's one thing. For Buddhists, uh, when we think of virtue, we think of living an ethical life. And we, we think in terms of the five precepts, which are basically not harming. Number one is not harming, sometimes called not killing. Number two is uh, wise speech, not, having, not creating harm through our speech. Number three is only taking what is freely given, that is, refraining from stealing or taking from someone. Uh, There's refraining from sexual misbehavior, refraining from intoxication. Those are the, the five precepts, and they have to do with how you are in the world. It's not a list of commandments, because it isn't so much about what you do as how you are. And that's mostly what I want to talk about tonight. What are the qualities of life that are reflected in your practice? And and what does it mean? And how does it relate to what is the spiritual life? A large part of this has to do with wisdom and discernment. 
the ability to see things clearly, to see what's actually happening is, is kind of key to it, and that, that puts mindfulness right at the center. So the main features, the features of a spiritual life might be listed this way. There's conviction, a matter of faith. You know, what is it that motivates you? Ethics, an ethical comp- component to it, you know, that we live an ethical life. Generosity, which I can describe in terms of compassionate living. It is not about uh, what you give to someone. You can give of yourself. You can give of yourself to yourself. You can have an open heart. You can listen. Generosity takes many forms. And it is about compassionate living, not so much giving stuff away. And uh, finally, wisdom or discernment, being able to see clearly. So those are uh, conviction, virtue, generosity, and wisdom or discernment. Okay, so one of the things that we do in Buddhism is we have a long list of lists. (laughs) Many, many things are lists. One of those lists is the five spiritual faculties. So these are the things that we develop that help us to develop strength to carry out the life and to follow the the meditation practice or whatever it is that we want to do. And those five spiritual factors are going to have faculties, excuse me, their, their faculties, their capacities, are very much like the other lists that you've heard. They have a lot of the same things in them. They have faith. We develop faith. This is the confidence that comes. If, you've, if you're meditating for a while and you begin to notice the benefits of meditating, it is motivating for you and you have confidence that it's going to make a difference. So it's the, that kind of faith and confidence that comes up. Uh, the second one is energy, which has to do with effort, persistence, you know, we're, we're in there, we show up every day, you know, I'm, I'm going to sit. And I, maybe I'm going to only sit for 10 minutes, but I'm going to sit. Or maybe I, okay, I normally sit for 30, but I really only want to sit for 20, but I sit for 30. It is that persistent application of effort that is a capacity that we develop. It's not something that, you know, springs out of your forehead. It's something that you say, okay, I'm going to just try this. And see what happens. There's a, an element of curiosity. Let's see what happens if I just do this. Okay, faith, energy or effort and persistence. Mindfulness, mindfulness. Being able to just see what's happening. When I'm sitting, I'm sitting. When I'm seeing, I'm seeing. When I'm hearing, I'm just hearing. There's the vibrations against the ear. Less about content and more about where is my awareness? Do I know that I'm aware of something? You know, I may know I'm walking down the street, but I'm not aware of walking because my mind is busy doing something else. So developing the capacity for mindfulness where I know this is what I, my, where my attention is is very important. The, the, the next one is concentration or stillness. Developing the capacity for stillness. The stopping, the pausing. Ah, just for now, 
I'm going to pay attention to what's right here in front of me. So we do that in meditation. It is the capacity for coming into the room, allowing enough pause to be in the room right now, here. So that's the concentration or stillness faculty. And the fifth is, once again, wisdom or discernment. How do we know what we believe is true? How do we know what I'm seeing is really what I'm seeing and not what I would like to be seeing or what I think I'm seeing or what somebody else told me I was going to see? How does experience develop the capacity to be just as it is, not what I'd like it to be? Right? So those are the faculties. So we've got, we've got the features of the spiritual life. We have the faculties that we're going to develop. So now we've got all of these faculties ready. What are we going to do with them? An important thing about these faculties is they're not actions. They're not things we do. They really are ways we are. And that is a central feature of a spiritual life. It is about developing qualities of how we are in the world. It's not about being good. It's not about judgment. It's not about reaching some pinnacle. It is how are we in the world and does that give rise to suffering or not? So one way I'd like to look at this is through the lens of honesty. It's basically about honesty. How honest are you about what you see, what you experience, what are your intentions? How honest am I when I see something and say, oh, well, yeah, but... Am I being honest about what it is I actually see? It isn't about judging whether it's good or bad. It's seeing as clearly as possible. So I'll talk a little bit more about that. So developing confidence, developing honesty in what we see and what we're attempting to do and what our effort is, a clear definition of our intentions. This is so important. We all believe in our intentions, and we think they are lofty. And they are. They are indeed lofty intentions. But are we honest about our intentions? I have always had the intention to be open-hearted. Sometimes that intention is more virtuous than other times. Sometimes I want to be open-hearted so that people will like me. (laughs) Now, there's nothing bad about that. But I better know clearly what my intention is. When I speak to you, is my intention to be open or is it to create an impression so that you'll like me? I have to be brutally honest about what's true in this moment for me about how I am behaving. It becomes extremely important to know what your basic intentions are. What's my basic intention? Then you have something to say, okay, am I with this intention or am I not with this intention? How, how is it? What is the clear definition of my intention? 
And is it a generous intention? Hmm, maybe not so generous. Extremely generous. Okay. This is, this is, this is worth cultivating. If it's not very generous, is it generous enough? <laughs> what kind of meaning does, is that? It doesn't have meaning when it is a comparative factor. Just know the intention clearly. Know your intention. And the more clearly you can define what your intention in life is, the easier it is to realize that intention. If it's really mushy, you never quite get there. (laughs) Never quite get there. And then there is the aspect, once again, of, of discernment, which is based on seeing it and reflecting on it. Seeing it and reflecting. Okay, Okay, so today I'm not really able to show up with all of the enthusiasm I would like to have. But I'm going to show up, and here I am with my not very great enthusiasm, but I'm here. Okay, that's what we're working with today. Think what a relief that is, as opposed to Oh, you know, I'm really feeling crummy today and my, my enthusiasm is bad. It's, it's not going to have a good result and, oh, I might as well stay home. Why not just show up with a half-hearted effort? Why not? See what happens. You might discover that you have more effort in you than you thought, more energy than you thought, or less. You might discover you have less. Okay, that's how it is today. The relief of seeing things just as they are, is huge. It isn't a giving up or a giving into. It is just seeing clearly. This is what I'm working with today. This is it. What we're doing is thinking about the qualities of character, the qualities that exist. We're not trying to do our practice as a substitute for how we are. We're trying to see, this is how it is. Here is my intention. How can I align with my intention given these conditions? This is how it is. So rather than getting focused on what we do or what we believe or think, we're focused on how we are. How am I in the world? Am I manifesting my intention? What can I do now? to manifest that intention. What you'll notice is this is a little different than the emphasis on, am I causing suffering? Is there suffering present? This is actually part of reflection. Okay, things are not going well. There is suffering here. What's causing this suffering? What is the cause of suffering? Well, you know, when I sit around and say X, People get really unhappy. Well, that's interesting. What can I do about that? How do I feel about that? Well, the way I feel about that is not seen. Oh, how interesting. I'm feeling not seen. Huh. That realization tells you where you are in the world. The mindfulness, the reflection on this is how it is, allows you to see and know what you're seeing through. What are the glasses you're looking through today? in which you're experiencing the world. Oh, 
oh, this feeling of not being seen. So when we do practice like meditation or metta practice or uh, acts of generosity of any kind, that's a practice. And what we're doing with practice is we're training the mind to a default that operates without us having to think about it. By developing mindfulness, it becomes a default mental discipline. And when we feel agitated, we're able to say, oh, I'm feeling agitated. And not immediately say, I'm agitated, you are causing me a problem. Or, I'm inadequate. We can say, I'm agitated. And we know it because we feel it in our bodies. And that's a habit that we develop so that we can become mindful. We don't do the act of mindfulness. We are mindful. Nobody is mindful all the time. But we can develop the capacity for resting there when we feel uneasy. We can develop the capacity to be with something that's uncomfortable. So, so if I'm being honest, I might say, okay, I'm telling the truth, but you know, I'm not being very kind about telling this truth. <laughs> this is kind of a vicious truth. This is a harsh truth. And maybe there's a way of delivering this or a time to deliver this that is not going to be harsh. When I feel in my heart that I am tight and constricted and uh, I can feel that curdling feeling, I don't have to speak. I can say, not now, not now, not a good time. I can allow what is true to be true. Instead of trying to convince myself, this could be better if only X were true, I can say, but this is how it is. This is what I'm dealing with. The honesty of being present with something you don't like, even if it's yourself. I don't like this in me when I do this. I'm sitting down with this pint of ice cream, and I know I should not be sitting with this pint of ice cream. I know I'm trying to make myself feel better. I know, yeah, well, it's kind of making me feel better. At least I'm knowing it. At least I'm knowing that that's what's happening. That's what's happening. One of the hardest things we ask our hearts and minds to do is to be with what is uncomfortable. To not try to change everything so that I'm more comfortable. We practice that in meditation. I was sitting when I was sitting here. I noticed that my pain, that my shoulder had a lot of pain in it, and I. What's that about? It was really, it was hurting. And I was thinking, okay, I should move. Well, okay, I'm just going to, it's really hurting. And then I realized that the way I was sitting, my hands were down too far and it was pulling on my shoulder and that's what I was feeling. So once I knew that, I could make the choice of altering or just being with the fact that I had misplaced my hand and it was uncomfortable. So I just practiced being with uncomfortable. It wasn't going to kill me. 
that practice gives me the capacity for being with what's uncomfortable. So the other day, uh, somebody said, I offered to meet somebody to pick them up. And they said, okay, here, there's this perfect place. Let's go to place X. And I'll meet you there. And immediately, I had this overwhelming feeling of, oh, no, not there. I said, oh, sure, because it felt foolish to say, oh, no, not there, because the reason I didn't want to go there is I have not been there for 35 years. That's where my ex-husband told me he didn't want to be married to me anymore. That was a very uncomfortable place for me. It was just a place. But I recognized that closing down, that not wanting. And I was able to just say, oh, Oh, that was 35 years ago, Maria, let go of it. And to see that it was still there and know that I was still carrying that with me. Who knew? I haven't thought of the place in who knows how many years. It was just a place. And when I got there, you might imagine 35 years later, it's nothing like it was then. Anyway, there was nothing familiar. (laughs) It was actually very trivial. But I could watch that closing down in my body and know that that was happening. And know that it was okay. Developing that capacity to do that allows us to do that when it's harder to accept whatever it is. When it's harder to be with. Then you can say... Okay, I know what this is like. I recognize this feeling of not wanting, of wanting it to be different. And I have the experience of being able to hold it lightly so that when something more burdensome comes up, it's not foreign territory to me. And I am better able to keep my equanimity and my ease of mind and the peacefulness in my heart. by developing the capacity to just be this. Just be. So, uh, being conscious of our biases, knowing, knowing that we have biases, like, well, I'm never going to that place again. Knowing that we have those biases, recognizing when they show up, recognizing that it's a lot easier to be kind to people we like than to people that we don't agree with. (laughs) that we have uh, a difference of opinion with. When we notice that we are making judgments based on who somebody is, what they look like, how they behave to their mothers, knowing that we have a bias, whether it's good or bad in our lexicon, knowing that we have a bias allows us to not behave in an inappropriate way. Allows us, for example, uh, uh, in the case where we say, how do we cultivate goodwill toward people we disagree with? People show up all the time that we disagree with. How do we develop the capacity for compassionate, generate generous interaction with people that are doing things that we find harmful. How do we react to that? By watching how we behave around the biases that we have, 
we can develop the capacity for not reacting in an inappropriate way, in a way that is not consistent with our own intentions. When we see what's happening, and when we see what we haven't been seeing, then it gives us space for changing. It gives us space for seeing something in a different way, for being more resilient. Do we hold ourselves and our leaders responsible for honesty? How do we hold them responsible? To what degree? What is forgiven and what is not? What is forgiven and what is not? One of the discoveries on my own spiritual journey had to do with someone who was very close to me, who had, uh, mm, that, that I was holding a, uh, a lot of ill will toward. So a family member. And I finally came to the place where I was able to forgive this person. Truly, I forgave them and said, okay, they were doing the best they could do. And then I heard myself say that. They were doing the best they could do. And I said, oh, is this a conditional forgiveness? I only forgive them if it's the best they could do. If that's true, what if it wasn't the best they could do? What if they were just plain mean? Do I not forgive them then? And I realized I was holding on to this little string of unforgiveness. And that in my heart, I had still not let go of carrying the anger toward that person. I hadn't let go of it. And then I had to look at whether, in fact, my forgiveness was dependent on my being able to justify it which all came back to me, had nothing to do with this other person. There was all of this construction around my own biases, what I thought was okay, how to justify, how to, how to sweeten the environment. But I wasn't giving up the anger that was curdling inside me. And that's what forgiveness is. It's refusing to hold the anger from some past hurt refusing to incorporate it and carry it around with you. Despite this great learning, which was really a big deal for me, in the last year, something came up, and I realized that I was carrying a huge anger around something that I had Mm, submerged, submerged. I pressed it down. This is not important. This happened a long time ago. It has nothing to do with what's happening now. And it came out in an inappropriate way. The anger. The anger showed up anyway, triggered by outside events, one of which was the birth of my granddaughter, and fear about what her life might be like. And I realized I was carrying this huge anger about things that had happened in my life and that I had to let go of that anger. Not, not condone what had happened. I didn't even have to forgive people. I had to see that it was the anger that was holding me and creating the conditions where I would behave inappropriately to other people who, after all, were not the people that created this problem but my inability to let go of it, 
to really let go of it had to be seen, at least seen. It wasn't a bad thing for me. It wasn't a failing for me. I had to see that I was carrying that anger so that I could be on the outlook for it, so that I could attempt to let go of it. So I could say, oh, wow, look at that. To realize that it is a condition for how I am now that has been conditioned by things that have happened in my life that I have not been willing to look at, to be around because they're uncomfortable. This was a much bigger deal than, you know, going to the place where my husband told me he didn't want to be married to me anymore. (laughs) Much bigger deal. But the capacity to, to just say, okay, stinks, here it is, was really important. Okay, I can be with something that just stinks until I can not have to hold it anymore. Until I can let it go. But I can't let go of what I don't know I'm holding on to. This is a part of honesty that's important. We have to ask ourselves if we can justify any means to get to a particular end. This becomes very important when we're uh, thinking about... uh, we, We have different standards for people that we disagree with and people we do agree with. And maybe, you know, this person twists the truth just a little bit, and we say, well, yeah, but their intentions are good. An angry man is always an angry man, regardless of his intentions. An angry woman is an angry woman, regardless of her intentions. The intention is a kind of motivation, an activating force. The anger is ill will, and it curdles over the intention and prevents it from being realized. If we try to justify what happens, saying, well, you know, he deserves it. He deserves it. Everything bad that happens to him, he deserves it. Where the sense of justice that we have has been subsumed into a feeling of revenge. We need to recognize when we're feeling revenge so that we know, oh, that's the thing that's making me feel a little queasy, a little creepy. Oh, it's... It's that secretly, I want him to hurt like I hurt. I want her to hurt. I remember being in a group of people where somebody didn't like something I had done that I felt had been done in total innocence. And she said, I'm glad you're suffering. You need to suffer like me. And I was in shock. (laughs) And I thought, wow, this person really believes that I deliberately harmed her. And she was really hurt by something that didn't have anything to do with her, really. And it was shocking to me to, to, to receive that kind of energy. And to, so then I asked myself, when have I given that energy to someone? Without even saying it, without doing it. I mean, the unique thing was that she actually said it to me. But when you feel it, 
you know, it's, it's, there's a, uh, it's, it's kind of a feature of political satire where you kind of laugh at things that are exaggerated, maybe. Um, and then you feel just a little bit creepy about it, right? Just a little bit like, well, that was kind of over the top. Yeah, it was over the top. And seeing that urge is a really important thing to notice. It's an important thing to notice. There's uh, uh, another thing that happens on your spiritual practice path, at least on mine, is that I tend to like certain things, certain phrases that speak to me and certain ideas that speak to me. So one of my favorites, a set of writings are in the Dhammapada, which is one of the earliest, the record of some of the earliest writings uh, of of words that the Buddha said. And um, I'm not going to to quote the immediate opening, which I usually quote. I'm going to go to the next few verses, which are verses three and four rather than one and two. He abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those carrying on like this, hatred does not end. She abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those not carrying on like this, hatred ends. Hatred never ends through hatred. By non-hate alone does it end. This is an ancient truth. Many do not realize that we here must die. For those who realize this, quarrels end. This repeating the story the telling of the story to ourselves, justifying why we're angry, justifying how we are resentful, just creates more pain. Wishing ill will on someone only brings more ill will in our own hearts. Seeing this, we say, ooh, this hurts, I don't want to do this. Looking at my own anger, I'm able to say, anger is here. Ugh. And sometimes what it amounts to is that I'm, I'm vacillating back and forth between, I want to be kind, I'm really pissed, I want to be kind, I'm angry, I want to be kind, and watch the mind go back and forth and back and forth, and recognize it as the struggle of just being here with it as it is as uncomfortable as it is, to see the battle between my own intentions and the, the response to things not as I wish them to be. To watch that and say, the struggle is here. Maybe it seems like a small thing, but it is everything. It is about developing resilience in our own hearts I can be here without doing this. Oh, yeah? Well, maybe. Oh, yeah? Maybe. I'm only saying maybe. Here I am, showing up for this, for this. This is the spiritual path. The Buddha didn't say, this is what's right and this is what's good. He said, look at what, is, what your proposed action is, if it causes suffering for you, for someone else, for both of you, don't do it. 
look and reflect on the action when you're in the midst of it. If it is causing suffering for you, for someone else, for both of you, stop. If it is not causing suffering, cultivate it. It's a really simple instruction. It isn't about being better or being good or having standards of behavior. It is reflect on this. Reflect before, during, and after. Because in the middle of it, you may not see it. Reflect on it. Notice it. Develop the ability to discern. This has good consequences. This does not. Take care with goodwill, with abolishing ill will. Don't hold it. When it arises, don't hold it. Forgive. Forgive without strings. Know when the string is still there. Okay, I'm still carrying this. Know what is your own deepest intention. What is it? Can I recall it when I need to? Can I recall it when I need to? How clear as it is in my mind. It's not so much what we think, but how we think. How we are. It is about being, not so much about doing. The doing comes out of the being. How we are in the world. If we develop the ability, the capacity, to watch our thoughts... Watch how we feel about what's going on. If we develop that capacity, that mindful capacity, we are better able to be free of a sense of righteousness, a a sense that things have to be this way, that there is an imperative that things be changed. It doesn't mean that we lay down and say, everything is okay, nothing matters. In fact, it requires us to stand up and say, ah, I see how things are. It is my intention for things to be otherwise, in a heartfelt, compassionate way. How do I do that? Probably not by yelling at someone. Probably not by cutting them off at the knees, however mentally good it may feel to be clever. No, probably not the way to solve it. So how do we do that? We see compassionately the struggle we have in being, meeting our own intentions, in being a certain way in the world. We see the struggle and we have compassion for ourselves in that struggle. Ah, okay, I'm struggling with this. I feel the tension in my head. I feel the going back and forth. I feel the argument. Ah! I don't want it this way. Oh, hard not to want it this way. This is hard. 
just as I was sitting with my shoulder aching because my hand was too low on my lap. Oh, this is what it feels like to not have it the way I want it to be. So let's try something just for a few minutes. I'd like to ask you all to just close your eyes. Take a deep breath and let it out. Just let it out. And, and repeat after me these, these phrases in, in your mind, just quietly in your mind. May I be kind to myself and others. May I be aware of my own inherent goodness. May I be free of judgment toward myself and others. May I be peaceful. Just like me, my neighbor just wants to be happy. Just like me, my neighbor just wants to be safe. May I be safe. May my neighbor be safe. Now, before you open your eyes, I'm going to ask you to open your eyes and turn and make eye contact with someone in the room, if you're comfortable. If you're not, that's okay. Think about someone that you're warm toward. Just think about them. Okay, open your eyes. Just look. Not expecting anything. Just here. Just here. No way to be. What's happening now? What's happening? What do you see? I have an advantage. I'm sitting up here, and I see a lot of smiles. (laughs) It's kind of an interesting idea to just feel safe for a moment. Just know that feeling. Remember it. Yeah, just, oh, Knowing that, knowing that awareness is at least as important as knowing why my shoulder was hurting, which is just a thing. Rest in the mindfulness of what it is like to just be for a moment. (laughs) 
Nobody here knows anything about you. (laughs) And you can let go of what you know about you. And you can just be here, aware of your own inherent, inherent goodness, your own desire just to be happy, knowing that everyone in the room just wants to be happy. That's all. Everything else is really noise. What we see, what we experience, is colored, conditioned by what we cultivate. Cultivate a willingness to be open to things as they are. There's no reason for you to believe that that's a good thing. I just encourage you to try it. Try to be open to things just as they are. See what a relief it can be. And when you notice that it really stinks, know that it really stinks. Say, whoa, that is so strong. There is freedom in just seeing things as they are, in just being as you are. Let go of whatever takes you out of the moment just once a day. Just once a day, say, this is my moment for noticing this moment. (sighs) Okay, moment's up. But be there for that moment and really experience the freedom of just that moment. It adds up. The spiritual life is about cultivating a way of life that involves conviction, virtue, generosity, and discernment. It is a process, not an end. It's something that we are open to every day. We spend a great deal of time talking about suffering and the end of suffering in Buddhist circles. I submit that a spiritual life also incorporates the cultivation of a peaceful heart. How are you going to be? How are you going to be? So, those are my thoughts. I have a poem to read, but it feels like a downer, so I'm not going to read it. (laughs) Because I'm feeling kind of up. (laughs) So, I'm wishing all of you great happiness and freedom and a spiritual life that allows you to be just as you are, Just this. Thank you.